0: hey there welcome to twins talk clear-cut communication yes we are twins and yes we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle
1: the topic of communication in a podcast but we're going to do it anyway and hopefully
0: you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable Hey, we're coming to you from uh, Funk, Nebraska. Now, it's not Funky Town or the Funk Brothers, but it's Funk, Nebraska. And I can understand why Nebraska would be in a funk, given that football team and the basketball team, for that matter. They have no one to root for. They don't have a single team. Even wrestling doesn't work for them. Even wrestling. They need to reevaluate. I think they are. They lost a coach and all that stuff. But anyway... Funk, Nebraska. And if you're uh, living in Funk, Nebraska and uh, catch in on our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Again, you're one of those towns we suspect. We do not have a high demographic in Funk, Nebraska, but we'll take it wherever we can get it. By the way, you mentioned that so often. What is our, what did you call it? Demographic? Demographic. What is it? What is it really? Well, how young is Ellie? She's seven. Seven. So seven to 70 plus. That's, that's one demographic, age demographic. Okay. And we added uh, high school students in there with Ben. And we've got junior high students in there with Jane and Evan. Are they junior high yet? No, no, they're not. I'm just doing that to give them shout outs, to name all the names. We got to include Miles. That's how right. Old, how old is Miles? Well, Miles is eight. So we got a pretty young demographic. And then we got the Ulsters. So we're probably running lean. In the middle years. And what I mean by middle years is 16 to 70. We're running lean. Oh, absolutely. I don't have a single name. (laughs) We should get on to it. We've been talking about dialogue. And last week, we spent some time laying out a model of four types of conversation or interaction, Uh, one being debate, the other being polite discussion, the third being skillful or skilled discussion, and the last being dialogue. And we were beginning to distinguish those And one of the things that you and I talked about was that these are not discrete categories. That is, they really do bleed over into one another, and they really are on a continuum. And you had commented that sometimes it's pretty difficult to see when you move from one form or one type of interaction to another. And so people shouldn't feel like, well how do I know when I'm in one or the other? And we can give them some ideas, but there's an awful lot of blending and moving back and forth in any given conversation between any of the four types. But maybe you could resummarize that And what we're trying to do is just reclaim what we talked about last week quickly, starting with debate and some of your observations about the movement from debate to dialogue and what you see to be the triggering factors that move you from one type of conversation to the other.
1: Okay, well, in the debate category, That tends to be more adversarial, tends to be a conversation that's entirely one of advocacy where people are advocating their position and don't likely have any inclination to move on that, to change positions. Mm -hmm. When you move from debate, raw debate, to more polite discussion, all that's really changed is the decorum. The intent is, is likely still the same, which is I come in with an agenda, I come in with a point of view, and I don't see myself changing that, although I'm... Polite about it. I try to keep the adversarial contact to a minimum and try to see or hear what the other person is saying, but that listening or hearing is mostly still an effort to create my own response in opposition. Then you move into skillful discussion, which can be facilitated and is often most effective when it is, but it is a commitment to hearing what the other person has to has to say. In that discussion, you're committed to some sort of balance, maybe not 50-50, but some sort of balance between advocating and inquiring. The goal of that kind of conversation is an outcome that both of us will agree on or at least commit to. Then that final form is dialogue. I consider dialogue the most sophisticated, the most effective form of communication because it's a commitment to outcomes that both of us feel strongly about in a positive sense. And it requires me to actively listen. It requires me to be very committed to finding out what the other person's position is. So that balance is mostly, if there's a balance factor of percentage, that balance is 60% or above in terms of inquiry Mm -hmm. and far less advocacy. If I'm
0: going to be committed to dialogue, I'm inquiring, I'm not advocating You know, and I'd like to round that out by redividing those four types. You had suggested that polite discussion and debate share a lot of qualities, and it's really only the pleasantness of polite discussion that fundamentally distinguishes it from debate. I would like to distinguish debate as a type of conversation in which it's more of a monologue. There are extended self presentations about information that it really is much less of a conversation and much more of me being strident and being adamant about the positions I'm taking. Now, as you said, raw debate, it can be an extreme form where I'm very loud, I'm very adamant, I'm very strident. In other forms, it's still about me maintaining the floor as much as possible. That's a good distinction to me. I I think if I saw that, I would recognize it. Okay. And when I think of discussion, in terms of both polite discussion and skillful discussion, there was a book The fifth discipline by some folks at MIT who distinguished discussion in a very fun sort of way. They said that the word discussion has the same root as percussion and concussion. And so it's more like a a ping pong match or the idea of interpersonal ping pong. We're just batting ideas around. They went on to say that discussion is a case of presenting and defending different points of view and that it's an effort to have one's view accepted and to win. So in that regard, it shares with debate the notion of winning and having one's view accepted. But it is more of a, an interpersonal ping pong match. It is discussion often takes on the notion playing with ideas, but always with the sense that one idea is going to come out a winner. One idea is going to be the one that we uh, buy into. And there's a view in discussion that there is a single best decision. And one of the things we're going to note is in dialogue, it's not accepting one idea or the other. It's actually creating a new idea. And oftentimes in dialogue, what we find most Beneficial and most pleasantly surprising is that we come up with new ideas that no one walked in with. But in discussions, it usually ends with deciding we're going to accept one of the ideas that's presented. Now, the thing I would view in in skillful discussions, Bob, before, oh, you go, go before we go further, yeah. Bob,
1: I would wonder with you if one of the differences between debate and the two discussions is discussions move toward closure, where mm-hmm. debate there really is no effort at closure. There's just an effort at continuing to espouse a view. So one of the things, if I'm trying to make a distinction, if I'm trying to monitor what's taking place, if I see people moving toward closure, that is far more likely to be a
0: polite or skillful discussion than it is debate. Mm -hmm. I would argue that debate, we've already reached closure. I mean, if I'm in the debate, my idea already in my mind has to be an idea. And Uh so it's, I've reached closure before we started the conversation. My whole purpose is to convince you that this is the right place, that we're going to converge on a point, and that point is the point I'm making. Where in discussion, I'm presenting my idea, but I'm pushing for that to be the winning idea. And then in skillful discussion, the thing that strikes me most important is that there has to be someone there that focuses on the process. This is a step that distinguishes a skillful discussion, whether it's a A selected and identified facilitator or moderator, which oftentimes happens in organizational settings, even if it's not that, there has to be someone in the conversation who now is committed to facilitating the process of the conversation, not just the content. So it's no longer at that level, that third type of conversation, exclusively about the content and winning and losing. There is someone in the conversation who has said, I'm going to advance the conversation by focusing on the process versus the outcome." You buy that, or how do you get yeah, that yeah, idea? That,
1: those are terrific observations, and I certainly buy it. And the idea of someone watching the process now, sometimes if you're in the group, you may not recognize that's taking place. I mean, if there's a facilitator, you obviously will, but if you're in the group and there's no identified facilitator, You might not recognize that someone is doing that, but if it's going to be successful as a skillful discussion, someone is monitoring and advancing the process.
0: Yeah, so we could almost say if someone out there is listening and saying, I'm trying to make distinctions, I'm trying to really understand the difference between these types of communication. Well, one of the ways of knowing whether they're in skillful discussion or polite discussion is there's at least someone there who's clearly attempting To address the process, to raise questions, to move the process along, to help the conversation continue to flow in positive directions. Where in polite discussion, there might not be anybody, everybody's being polite, but we're all simply presenting our points of view. And as you said, one of the criteria of being able to distinguish the movement through the continuum is the amount of inquiry compared to advocacy that's going on. And we see a lot of advocacy at the debate end of the continuum and primarily inquiry at the dialogue end of the continuum. Well, these same fellows, saying et al. in uh, Fifth Discipline, then talk about dialogue as a distinct form of communication from discussion. And so, again, I'm trying to make the argument we've got debate as a distinct form. We've got discussion that comes in two forms, and we've got dialogue as another distinct type of communication. And I found it very interesting, maybe academic, but interesting. They argued that dialogue really comes from the Greek word dialogus, And what that actually says is meaning passing through. So the picture of dialogue is not an interpersonal ping pong match. Picture of dialogue is almost like a river where people are contributing to this river of conversation. And that flow of the river is passing through the group and we're all contributing to it, and we're building meaning. We're beginning to create something that all of us buy into. We're not trying to simply represent our point of view and then defend it. They also say that dialogue is fundamentally a creative exploration of ideas and issues. And as you said earlier, it requires a level of suspension of assumptions, that one of the ways of truly participating in dialogue is to suspend one's assumptions about what we're talking about to engage in it, to question it, to even explore what am I really assuming when I say the things I'm saying and talking about? And it involves deep listening. And so my view would be that would be another example of, and we've certainly hammered listening early on in the podcast, that one of the ways of distinguishing if whether dialogue's actually occurring is are we watching people deeply listen and actively listen in our terms? And when I move to actively listening, that goes back to that notion of asking questions, that they really are inquiring. They really are exploring others' ideas. Now, I'd add one more piece and then would want you to talk. Based on these researchers' ideas, they say there are three particular issues that distinguish all four forms. One is the balance between inquiry and advocacy, and we've addressed that. But two is the degree to which convergent or divergent thinking is going on at the debate end and polite discussion, end, it's much more towards converging. It's much more towards reaching a decision. It's much more towards, as you said, closure. But as you move up towards skillful discussion and dialogue, you see much more divergent thinking. People are pushing outward rather than inward. They're trying to explore what are all of our options? What are things we're not thinking about? What are things we should be talking about that we're not talking about? When you see those kinds of conversations raised, You're saying, okay, we're pushing towards trying to create as much divergence in our thinking as we are trying to converge our thinking. And then lastly, the degree to which there are shared understanding and meaning. In debate, there really isn't a shared understanding. In fact, there's no interest in getting a shared understanding. There's your idea and my idea. In polite discussion and in skillful discussion, there's at least some attempt to get at what are we talking about here. But the idea of really sharing that meaning and understanding doesn't really occur to dialogue. Now, when I say all that, where do you see dialogue in terms of its, I'm going to use the term durability or its fragility as compared to some of the other types? Because I think that becomes an issue as we try to push towards dialogue in conversation. Well, I think our conversation has potentially made
1: dialogue sound very often unattainable. That mm. it's a, a mm. complicated, difficult process. And it requires far more commitment and investment than you might be able to secure. And one of the things that popped up in our conversation that you shared, I think was very enlightening. You shared a story about being with State Farm and having experience in creating dialogue. And the thing that stood out to me was it doesn't take a great number of people. I mean, If you had a huge group, even a hundred, it might only take four or five of the right people to create dialogue, to get it started. Mm -hmm. And I often thought, well, no, it it would take many more than that, but it doesn't. I mean, if you have a small group of 10, I mean, if you had two or three that were committed to this dialogue taking place, you could often get it started. You could often create the flow, to use your metaphor of a river, you can create the flow with with just that number. But one of the things I think you need to understand is that dialogue can be fragile. Mm-hmm. It can stop instantly. I mean, you could have started a good thing and it can be unplugged very quickly. So monitoring it and maintaining it, in some cases, can be more difficult than starting it, than initiating it. Uh, now, in terms of durability, I think if you have three or four who are committed in a smaller group, it has quite a bit of durability. The fewer people who are committed to it, the less durability it has, mm-hmm. the more fragile it becomes. I do think that... People who are the identified leaders, should they begin to shut things down, it stops.
0: Uh, They often have the influence of three or four or five people. I was going to comment on, on that and say, in one of the episodes yet to come, I would really like us to talk about what are the barriers to dialogue, having dialogue. And they're very clear. They've been researched. We know what they are. And one of those really is the hierarchy. To the degree we acknowledge hierarchy, people in a room who have higher status, higher in the organizational structure. When those people say something, they could shut dialogue down completely, particularly the higher they are in an organization. And so to that degree, it is fragile because an individual could put a stop to it. But I do like your idea that it doesn't take a lot of people to, even with a large group, because the example you were giving, the one we were talking about at State Farm, that was a group of 150 leaders. And that was a very large room. And most of the time you'd say, well, you can't have a conversation with that number of people. And yet, it was very interesting and very fulfilling to see it only took four or five of those people, and they were really plugged into asking the right questions, not that they were scripted, but they really wanted to know and were asking very honest questions to generate a dialogue that was very robust and very healthy. So it can be done with a few numbers. But as we were saying, to some degree, it's delicate, even though it can be very durable. And we're going to keep arguing that it's it's the kind of conversation you want to have, and it's worth going for. And it's worth being one of those three or four people that say, I'm going to consciously think about and focus on the process that's going on here and try to contribute to it to keep the conversation driving further and deeper and more fulfilling and robust. So, yeah, those are issues. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, one
1: of the things that
0: I want to be, it'll be redundant, maybe
1: even repetitious, that I want to say about dialogue. To me, it is the most exciting form of conversation I ever engage in. And I think the excitement, Revolves around the, the fact that it creates possibilities that no one walked in with. That yes. is the magic of it to me. Mm-hmm. That when you're trying to solve a problem and people come in with their tried and true solutions or some ideas, but then all of a sudden out of conversation springs a solution, an idea, possibility that no one brought into the room with them. That is a magical byproduct of successful dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are movies, if you watch Apollo 13, and then trying to solve that very, very difficult problem,
0: mm-hmm. both
1: in the capsule and on the ground. And that constant commitment to dialogue produced results that saved that mission. Yes. And I think that's a kind of excitement. That's a kind of magnet that I'm drawn to in terms of conversation. It is it is a rare form, a rare experience to be now either in a group setting or an individual setting, to be in dialogue with someone and have that land on you, that's brand new. Mm-hmm.
0: I never thought of that, but that works. That's really an answer, mm-hmm. you know. And as you say that, and I am too. I think both of us are have this huge commitment to dialogue. Some of the push against it is people see it as very time consuming. But it's like that old yes. cliche: "You get what you pay for," or, or, or "Pay, now pay for it later." That's right. All those cliches that say you either take the time to do it right, and so I think dialogue represents that force that says if you'll take the time in this kind of conversation. The payoff is very large, but a lot of people push back. In fact, one of the films that we used to work with in training, the Twelve Angry Men film about the jury handling a murder trial, is very fascinating in the fact that that theme comes up several times. Come on, guys, look at the time. It's we're just spending way too much time, and yet in the end, they come to the right conclusion and not the wrong conclusion, which is where they started which is what makes that film so fascinating, okay? So we've kind of talked about dialogue. We're actually at a stopping point. So I think we should probably... stop now, but we want to go on and talk about what are some other ways that you know that dialogue is occurring? Because we want to keep having people be able to recognize it so that they can get involved in it and commit to it and be aware that, wow, this is the kind of conversation uh, Bob and Ray are talking about. And then we want to move on to, so what are the barriers to dialogue? What gets in the way? And we want to talk about what are the four conditions necessary for dialogue to actually take place, which I think are very important and give people a structure to be able to look at it. Sound right to you, Bear? Sounds exactly right. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast.